Wait till people see this interview. Are you going to get mail? I might get some female. <laughs> Do you have idea how long that needs to fat through the fridge before it gets f***ing mold? A very long. How many f***ing scoops you need to take before you realize it's shit? I'm going to f***ing kick your f***ing You don't Listen. shut up for a second, all right? I, Vinam Reich, am sitting alone in the large room in the lower house. All people are gone. In the morning and the whole day yesterday, a meeting took place of the members of the Board of, the board of Trustees of the Foundation which carries my name. <clears throat> Everybody's gone now. And I would like to add a few words to the recording we made yesterday and today of the disaster which struck Alvarez. This is a group session in primal therapy. The idea is to go back, uncover the hurts of childhood, relive them, and free the real you. There's nobody around. There's not a single soul either here at Oregon or down in New York who would fully and really from the bottom of his existence understand what I'm doing and be with me in what I'm doing. They're all very good people. They are decent, honest, hardworking. I trust them. They are very good friends, all of them, or most of them. But this does not alter the fact that they all, without any exception, are against, I say, are against what I am doing. Before anything good came into my life. Christian science taught me it was my only mother and my only father that I ever had. And it taught me, it taught me how to be honest. And it taught me well, that there was truth. And it taught me to look into myself. And it brought me here. I wasn't anxious about any particular thing. I was just anxious, physically anxious. The mail would come. I would be scared about what was in it. Every single one of them spikes me, interferes with my effort, crosses it out, blots out, flattens out. There's one thing or another thing, whatever it may be, to diminish <coughs> my effort, no, to diminish the effects of my effort, to block out the sharpness and acuity of my thoughts, to reduce to rubble and nothing, or nothingness. Repressed anger that's in him. These feelings and emotions are actually physically held within the body. <laughs> getting out the fear and the crying gives me a sense of relief, but getting that rage out, that bloody murder, is absolutely delicious. <laughs> Ah! <laughs>
encourage the release of the emotion. Ah! For fuck's sake, I fucking had it up! God fucking damn it! Ah! 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 But the people are retarded. They tend to <clears throat> complain about, I think, um, you know, the world's degenerate and all this kind of stuff, which, you know, may be true. I don't know. But one thing's for sure, like they, they have access to information that like I, you and I could only have dreamed of like all in one place, like the click of the finger, you could find anything that you wanted. Um, whereas like, I remember ordering fucking books out of magazines and stuff. Like, oh yeah. Sit there yeah, and wait mean, yeah. for, like a lot of it was just luck, luck yeah. in a bookstore. And then you could maybe order something. Sometimes they, they would like, couldn't even find the publisher to get the book, order the book from and stuff, even if you'd yeah. heard of the book yeah. and like it was, um, yeah, it was like, uh, and then the the way to find to try and find things out online. I mean, I, I remember I've, there was this book series that was about like forbidden knowledge and stuff. It was like this big. It was called like a mock. You heard of this? It was this no, old no, book. No, it was no, like no. all this forbidden. Basically, it's all like fringe stuff you'd get on the internet now, all over the place. But yet there was just this one book sold it, and it was all like extreme politics stuff, extreme physical stuff it's just all this bizarre shit and um sure it was like so hard to to even hear about anything crazy like that uh which is now just completely normal and they're just seen it all the time and that was yeah. in this obscure book you had to order and blah 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 uh but now they're like starting with that stuff <laughs> so fuck knows the kind of weird shit they're getting into when they go down the rabbit hole you know that's yes. the start they're starting at our old rabbit hole hideous to think about um you know like the, the boomers get a hard time as well right but you know they went through the same thing as us but just <clears throat> way worse like just trying to come across knowledge everything was so controlled and so difficult to come across i think that like a lot of kids now they don't probably appreciate that like it's kind of like why why don't the boomers you know what do they think this or that it's like their entire existence was controlled <laughs> heavily everything you know everything was uh, how would you say it was um, was uh, deliberately diverted into their consciousness, and uh, you know, we, we, I think we take it for granted today that uh, like we have access to all this stuff, which has good and bad sides. Don't get me wrong, but um, yeah, if you know how to manage it, I think it's far and away superior, particularly for people like us who are interested in the things we are. Um, I think the ability to just go and look something up. Yeah, 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 the Eastern stuff to compare it to Western stuff, and um, you know, be able to find like science papers and a lot online when you're not a scientist and, and shit like that. Yeah. It's amazing. So Reich or Reich, Reich. I heard a guy calling him Reich. Reich. I think this is maybe it the is. way to say. Yeah, I've heard Germanics uh, say that uh, before, and I'm pretty sure I, I saw a documentary once where some people interviewed uh, these these old guys that lived in the town where he had. Um, his little compound and i forget what that's called it was called like 
foreigner or, or organ organon something or other. I forget. I'd have to look it up. But in the township, which I think is in Maine somewhere, pretty sure it was Maine, they went and interviewed like a lot of the local people, uh, including like shopkeepers, uh, the hairdresser that gave him his insane haircut, <laughs> which he was very... You know, he reminds me of David about. Lynch a lot. I always think of totally. him and David Lynch. Yeah, yeah, you totally. get that. Like, yeah, yeah. Yeah. He's got Absolutely. Lynch vibes. So putting a, uh, putting together a video uh, for this episode, like I've, I've just got a picture here and I'm kind of tampering with it. But yeah, he's crazy. <laughs> it's just like sticking right up. Um, but yeah, they, they um, referenced uh, him as Dr. Reich. So I suspect that's how he, how he referred to himself. But um, yeah, subject tonight is, is Wilhelm uh, Reich. Um, so I guess maybe a good place to start for people, because I don't think everyone's fully aware of what Reich did and how it's relevant to like muscular armor and, uh, you know, body-based psychotherapeutic practices, et cetera, et cetera. Um, so maybe like it would be a good idea to just go through a little bit about Dr. Reich, um, some of the his history maybe, some of the kooky stuff that he believed, <laughs> and and just maybe give people a bit of a background about this guy because it is important, I think, to understand that. Um, and where this notion of the muscular armor came from and why why it is why he came up with it and the place that he was coming from to contextualize this this concept because i think you see a lot today with psychotherapy some people that have taken the reins on on Reich's work is they've gone off in what i would describe as kind of fluffy directions kind of kind of a little bit silly a little bit cliche you know that, that love and energy and university kind of stuff uh or i've actually got organite here with me at the moment um in in memory of dr reich so i've just i've got it here at my desk obviously you can't see that because i don't have a camera but um things like organite <laughs> Uh, energy, uh, you know, cloud busting, all that kind of stuff, because that's that tends to be what people focus on. They don't actually focus on his his body work or vegetotherapy and his idea of the character. No one ever talks about that either. But in many ways, I think that's like the most interesting part of Doctor Reich or Doctor Reich. Um, so in that respect, I'll just, if you don't mind, Kevin, I'll just run through a quick kind of thing that I just put together here just to help people understand uh, where this guy's coming from, unless you have something to add to that. Um, no, you go for it. You know you know more about him and you have more experience with his work than I do. So it's best if you give people an overview and then I can maybe make some comments in the margins. Yeah, yeah sure. sure. Sounds good. good. Reich was, I guess, I, I consider him anyway to be the, the progenitor of this idea of muscular armor, which is the thing we're talking about tonight. We're talking about the regulation of uh, the musculature, uh, tension, uh, release, flexibility, or, or the tonus of the muscle, uh, all these different things. The fact that we have them in psychotherapy today, I think can be largely attributed to, to Wilhelm Reich, um, as well as other things, um, you know, like the, free love of the 60s or the the kind of i guess what some people call the sexual chaos all that kind of stuff 
although not entirely derived from him in a very large part, I believe is probably derived from him. And that's because he tied up these ideas of sexuality and orgasm in particular um, with this idea of muscular armor and an orgone energy coursing throughout the body. So um, I first picked up a Reich book. It would have been in like, you know, very early 2000s, maybe even late 90s. I can't remember exactly, but I would have been maybe 19 or 20, something like that. And I had this insane girlfriend. Um, and on her bookshelf, when I, when I first met her, I went into her uh, apartment. And, you know, she was kind of one of these, I guess you could call her a hippie, kind of Naomi Wolf, <laughs> beauty myth uh, kind of person mixed with kind of being a Cure fan um, and mixed kind of well at the time, uh, you know, that Trent Reznor heroin chick kind of thing was was popular. So she was kind of one of these kinds of people. And, um, and it, yeah, fond memories, I guess. But uh, she uh, had on her bookshelf this book called The Function of the Orgasm. Um, and I was like, what, you know, what the hell's this? Because I'd not really considered anything like that before would be possible in psychological literature. So anyway, um, to her credit, she was able to uh, explain it to me pretty well. Um, and I was pretty fascinated with it to start with. Um, yeah. <laughs> Verbally. <laughs> and then, well, I won't go into, into that, but, um, maybe, <laughs> maybe, maybe in, yeah, different ways, hands-on and verbal, which is a part of the therapy, uh, funnily enough. So, um, you know, um, basically that's what got me into it and through this i got into hyatt and people like that when i i kind of got sick of the utopianism of reich and the marxism of reich because that really just didn't sit well with me but anyway a little bit about reich um so reich was a german jew uh he was one of freud's um so-called inner circle in vienna when when freud was was working there I think maybe there were about six or seven acolytes in this group. Some of them were very well known. Um, people like Adler, I think Jung was a part of this group and a couple of other fairly prominent um, psychological or psychoanalytic uh, figures. Um, and it was in this little group that Reich actually did pretty well for himself and he became director of Freud's outpatient clinic. And this is kind of important because this is kind of where Reich um, gets his, or the, or the foundation of his philosophy or his, um, method eventually. Um, for those interested, I actually have an essay on my Substack about what I consider to be Reich's mistakes. And I think that his mistakes were largely formed during this era. Like he made certain assumptions because of Freud's work that he transferred over into his later work. And I think as a result, there are several very significant errors in the way that he eventually viewed what was going on in the human body and how that related to neurosis and stuff like that. So anyway, um, his whole thing at that time was reconciling Marxism and psychoanalysis. 
which was a big thing for him. And that's very telling in his work when you read it. Um, this vein of utopianism and Marxism, um, I don't think he, as I, as I was saying, he never really ever, ever got rid of it. And um, I think that it actually ends up diminishing a lot of the useful things that he has to say. And people tend to get hung up on that as opposed to the actual body work and the body therapy that he developed a little bit later. <clears throat> so um, he began to consider things a little bit different from Freud after a while. And this kind of led to a, a kind of split. Um, I guess a good way maybe to summarize what the nature of this split was, was that basically what Freud attempted to do was through speaking, he tried to bring things that were unconscious into conscious purview in his patients. And that he thought basically then those things would resolve themselves eventually with talking with a, with a therapist. Whereas Reich started to disagree with that and he started to go his own way and he developed something that we know now as character analysis. And basically his idea was that um, the muscular armor and psychic energy, they are the things that bound up energy within the organism. And then as a result, that's where neurotic uh, behaviors come from. So it's the only way to attack that is actually through looking at the physiology of the patient, which is something at that time I think was fairly radical. Because if you look at people like Jung and Freud, they were almost entirely concerned with, you know, speaking, theorizing. I guess in Jung's case, he was a bit more mystical. So dreams, dream analysis, <clears throat> stuff like that. So Having said that, it wasn't a total split, so he still saw himself as furthering Freud's work. And I think that when Freud rejected his his notions of including the body and looking at the body, he was actually pretty pissed about it, pretty disappointed, and they ended up falling out uh, as a result, which is interesting. So <clears throat> I guess um, in short, um, Reich devised his theories to explain character which is something we're going to talk about today. But the way he did this was with two, two theories. The first theory was orgasm theory, uh, hence the function of the orgasm, because he felt that the orgasm was the primary expression of, of the psychic pulsation of the organism. So if you are healthy, you should be able to orgasm effectively, I guess, or, or with full release. And if you were neurotic with character, like strong muscular tension and other problems like that, then it could probably be seen as, as being, uh, how would you say, derived from some sort of sexual repression and that probably your orgasms wouldn't be as fully expressed. And he noticed this in a lot of his patients. So that's what kind of led him to this kind of idea that, um, you know, character and sexuality and tension in the muscles and the physiology are all bound up uh, in the organism and they all need to be looked at for patients that had neurotic uh, symptoms. So what he did was he proposed these theories. Um, he proposed that muscular armor was a kind of protective mechanism in many ways. And as I was saying, it, it 
retarded the pulsating nature of what the organism should be. And the armor was retarding something that we all know now as orgone energy. And this psychophysiological pulsation, if it was retarded, it would then lead to neurotic symptoms. And then he saw neurotic symptoms through the entire civilization. So he was like, everyone's completely mental. And the reason everyone's mental is because they're all wound up. They're all tense. Um, their character is all bound up in their uh, muscular armor. They can't express love or sexuality properly as a result. And that's where all the world's ills are derived from. It's all because of these features of our civilization. And he was very explicit about calling it a patriarchal civilization. He saw uh, this oppression of the organism and its sexuality as primarily a patriarchal thing, which is very interesting. And you can probably see then that many modern leftist philosophies would have taken probably a little bit from, from this assumption that he made. Um, so just to finish off, I guess, um, just before World War II broke out, Reich moved to America um, because I guess he was a Jew and you wouldn't want to stick around Germany um, probably. Uh, and he started a lab there where he really started to get full blown into this orgone stuff. And he kind of really went off the rails at this point. Um, and as I was saying, I've got, I've got a couple of organite things here that I actually tested and they, they didn't work. So it was not money well spent, but a lot of people in esoteric circles on Twitter, I guess you call them those esoteric people, uh, they do threads on cloud busting and orgone accumulators and all this kind of out there stuff. That's where he started to develop this kind of thing was in the United States and he even went to the point where just kind of before his death, he went mental and he basically started writing books about how UFOs were consistently uh, visiting Earth and that they were, um, how would you say, they were malevolent aliens and they were trying to uh, do bad stuff to us and that he was basically saying that the psychic plague that I described before that was as a result of the patriarchal oppression of biological impulses, that was actually because of aliens. Um, so he, he kind of lost it towards the end of his life. Um, plus the cloud busting stuff. I mean, I don't want to get into that. I'm not sure if it works or not. It doesn't really seem like it does to me. All going accumulators, Maybe they work. I've never tried one. I've actually wanted to try one, but I've, I've just never had the time or money or space to be, to be bothered. But it's interesting that towards the end of his life, he really started to get paranoid and start to lose his mind. And, and one of the interesting things is that, that you've got to wonder is like how much of uh, Reich's work uh, did Reich do on himself? <laughs> because towards the end of his life, like I'm reading these books and these stories. And I'm like, it really sounds like this guy's having some severely paranoid delusions. Um, and maybe he wasn't, maybe he could be right about everything for all I know, but it just doesn't read that way. There's several interviews with him that become increasingly paranoid um, where he refers to people that are working with him as being against him and, and stuff like that. Anyway, uh, long story short, 
uh, he starts to go, you know, batshit insane. And then the FBI um, take an interest in him, um, him selling the organ accumulators for cancer and stuff like that, which of course is one of the things that he claimed organ could fix is cancer. And he fell out with the authorities. And uh, in the end, they confiscated all this stuff, uh, took him to court, put him in prison where he eventually died of a heart attack, uh, which is pretty terrible that they did that to him. It's unforgivable. But nevertheless, um, I do think that when we look at Reich, we need to kind of look, separate out uh, the various things that he was into. So we need to separate out the UFO stuff, the orgone stuff. We need to be a little bit careful with that cloud busting, organite, all these different things. Uh, his, his quite clearly Marxist interpretation of the world, we need to be a little bit careful of as well, because he really did push a kind of utopianism. And I'm the kind of person that doesn't at all believe in utopias. But he seemed to feel that all people needed to do was to have more orgasms, uh, do this work and, you know, everything would be fine and get rid of patriarchal oppression and all this kind of stuff. So, you know, he was a reductionist. He was a utopianist um, and he did go crazy. So I think in that respect, we need to be a little bit careful of Reich. But on the other hand, um, which is what we're going to talk about tonight, he developed this theory um, about muscular armor and he developed a therapy that was based on his uh, theory of muscular armor and character, uh, which is the purpose of going through uh, or having the next two episodes is to go through this stuff uh, in a bit, bit more detail. Um, so that I think that's Reich uh, in a nutshell. And obviously there's a ton more to it. And I encourage anyone uh, to read his stuff, even if it's just for shits and giggles, um, because it, many of his books are still fairly interesting. And um, as I was saying, many people seem focused on the wrong things about him, in my opinion, because actually the body work is very able to be used uh, for personal benefit um, uh, as long as you're careful with it. Um, but overall, I'd say just be a bit careful because I think that the theory of uh, therapy that, that Reich put forward is, is more or less totally mistaken i would say and we can get into that a little bit more later but anyway that's my introduction of reich i don't know if you've got anything to add i might have uh, forgot some stuff there kevin potentially um i just started to of, rant a little bit i i um yeah it's useful to think of him as kind of three phases you know his early phase he's an orthodox um psychoanalyst and then he develops this what we're talking about here about the the character analysis and the the muscular armor and um, the interesting stuff to us and then later it's the more spaced out stuff and at the end literally spaced out um so he i find it useful to understand the development of of ideas and practices like this to to understand it to see what what the good things are and the bad things are if you look at the history of the development. So I think with him it started by, he was doing the talk therapy and during talk therapy he noticed sometimes the patient would 
sit in different ways or he would see a physical effect on their body based on just talking. So like he broke with Freud where Freud would have, um, you know, the patients on the couch looking at the ceiling or whatever and the, they're not they're not interacting directly with the analyst. So he broke with that and started interacting with them more directly and he could see, and he was noticing different changes in their bodies when just through the talk. So then at some point he decided to just start working directly with the body to see if that changed the, you know, the, the symptoms and, and the problems that the people had. Uh, and then it kind of developed from that. I think from that idea, a whole lot of assumptions came that you should just treat it directly, you know, like um, just because something works doesn't mean that that's the best method for continuing forever. So I think that was one error he made is uh, you just need to release all the tension in the body, then everything will be fine and all these things will go away. It's part of his utopianism, really, that you were talking about. Um, so the later stuff, I think, anyone who's been involved in any kind of esoteric practice or occult stuff at any point in their life will know that a lot of weird stuff will happen similar to what well, happens to people similar to Reich seems to have been experiencing the paranoias, the weird um, uh, phenomena, um, weird biophysical things, energies, strange energies, strange coincidences, um, seeing underlying secrets and patterns happening that other people don't see, that kind of thing. Um, and a lot of it just sounds like someone who's been done too much kundalini yoga without knowing much about it or doing some weird occult stuff. And that brings it to how much was what Reich was doing just Western therapy or how much was it actually intermingled with Eastern mystical systems. Uh, it's complicated. Uh, but I think the basic energy he's talking about, I think, is the same thing as those systems when they're talking about Kundalini or whatever, uh, but in a completely different framework. Uh, I think the middle, his middle phase, where he's he's focused on the the character analysis and the muscular armoring, and how to de-armor. I think that is uh, still useful in many ways i think it's uh, limited in other ways and if he if if you get involved in that stuff you need to not get pulled into the and agreeing with the underlying assumptions that he has that you just need to get rid of all the energy you just need to release all the tension then everything will be fine because come what comes with that is throw away the mind throw away the intellect stop thinking just let the body happen by itself and, and, you know, utopia will come. And then if it's that for the person, then people just become a zealot for it and then think everyone else needs to just release all the tension and do all the sex uh, impulses they have, just give up to give over to all of it, have no self-control in that sense, just let it all happen, then we'll be in a perfect world. Uh, so if you look at things that are happening today, a lot of the crazy stuff, especially the crazy sexual stuff, uh, is a consequence of Reich's ideas. But I don't think he would have been down with most of it. I think he would have thought a lot of the stuff that's going on just now is just examples of severe armoring and severe uh, character problems uh, that people are out of touch with themselves and need to get even more in touch with themselves. 
So the so you mentioned like the political stuff. So there's there's something for right people to love or hate in Reich, whether they're left or right actually. So like the on the right there's uh, this kind of vitalist right see a lot of stuff in Reich they like. The traditionalist right don't like him because of this sexual politics. Uh, on the left, the old left probably think all this sex stuff is a distraction from the, the real economic causes that should be focused on. Uh, and then the kind of woke left uh, sees it as a kind of lever to prize apart the social structures and the patriarchy and all that stuff. Um, so he can be used in different ways. So like you're saying, you have to be very careful with which ideas you take. Um, there's some technical things I think are mistaken as well that we can talk about later. Um, but some of the underlying ideas are great, and some of the some of his I, like on a personal level, I admire his courage because he was everybody was after him. You know, like he was getting thrown out of the Freudian societies for being too Marxist, getting thrown out of the Marxist societies for being too Freudian, getting chased by the fascists getting in and out just everywhere he went then the american government the you know the medical establishment sound familiar uh so he had everyone was after him and uh he just kept going with his own thing even if i don't agree with where it all went uh but he so he's an interesting guy to read about and i like some of his style in his books where he he talk, he's talking in a sort of historical way and of the development of the ideas and then a problem appears and then he tries to solve the problem, that kind of thing. I think that's a really useful way for learning about things that a lot of scientists wouldn't really do that. They're trying to give the completed fixed theory, oh, it's all solved now, and they try to skip all that stuff. Um, but for us now, going back, understanding the development and the, you know, the pendulum swinging too far one way then back the other way, it's useful for us to apply to now and it stops you getting fixated and um, drawn into the you know evangelical psychoanalysis which a lot of them have where you just this will somehow be fixed and fix the world if if, if people just uh, stop being sexually depressed and just uh, you know like release their muscle tension stuff it doesn't work uh, long term that there's the, the problem is, though, that it's pleasurable a lot. This kind of thing is pleasurable to people, so they'll keep doing it. doesn't mean it's good for individuals, and it doesn't mean it's good for people as a whole. Uh, well well said. I think that there were some derivatives of, of, uh, of Reich you were just talking about then. Uh, it feels good. And, of course, you have stuff like primal therapy, um, primal scream therapy, like what's a rebirthing experience therapy? How you pretend that you're being born again because that's traumatic or whatever it is. And one of the major problems I see with Reich's therapy is or, or outlook, because I, you know, I don't increasingly, I know, I know they consider it a therapy, but I just have more and more trouble classifying it in that way. But um, he was very much focused on the release of emotion and that kind of model of repression. So the model of everything's bound up and it has to be released to get rid of it, which I think is kind of naive, given what we know now, understanding of, 
of how things are working. But it did lead to a lot of like really quite bizarre practices in the 70s. And I'm sure people have seen all those pictures of people writhing around on the ground and screaming and uh, going crazy. Um, much of which I put in the introduction for this video, in the video introduction, because it's hilarious. But a lot of these ideas continue on to this day. And you, a lot of therapists still do this. They still <clears throat> feel that these emotions have to be expressed uh, all the time or, or brought up or probably, you know, I always wondered, uh, are, the, are the emotions even legitimate or are they just things that people are just imagining themselves into for the pleasure of having that ecstatic experience or, or release? Um, but anyway, you know, Reikian therapists, by and large, the ones that I know about, they do definitely refer to uh, Reikian work as therapy, as psychotherapy. Um, and they're very reluctant. And I remember this from a, a few message boards that I used to go on with people like uh, Jack Willis and a number of other people. This, this is many years ago. It was you know well over a decade. And I, I used to watch the arguments that they had. And, and at the time, it was really split into this, the groups of utopians versus groups that were kind of revising this idea of the armor, that you don't have to get rid of it all, that there, there is some function to having it. Um, and there used to be these fantastic arguments. I, I can still remember them. Um, but the one thing most of them were unanimous on is that Reikian therapy is not like a cult in any way. And they really hated being lumped into that um, to a ironically neurotic degree. <laughs> um, and I, I do remember several significant arguments breaking out about that. And I think a lot of people have a misconception about Reich because of his cloud busting and, um, you know, UFOs and all this kind of stuff that Reichian work is a cult in some way or it's mystical um that and and this is referring back to how you're talking about where did Reich get his methods which is something we definitely need to talk about in terms of the eastern mysticism and all that kind of stuff but <clears throat> it's not chakras they always were talking about how this is not chakras he didn't get it from there that's not what it is you know, I, I can remember uh you know a lot of these uh, discussions but for the purpose of Reikian therapy, I do tend to agree with them that it is better to approach it as a psychotherapeutic process. And it's a process where you work on the body in a methodical way. And an interesting question while I was looking into this a little bit deeper, and I don't know if you have any opinions on this, but there's very little on what Reich taught as far as I can tell. Like I've not come a lot across a lot of stuff other than his students and people that that worked with him like there's very little that i can find about like this is a method i tried this is what i did so i often wonder that the inheritance we have of this body work and the various exercises and all this kind of stuff we, we just have that from students effectively various lineages of students that all went off into their own you know, often peculiar ways and did their own thing with it.
Do you think that what we have is strictly the kind of thing that Reich did to people? I often wonder. And and by uh, what I mean by the thing that we've inherited is, you know, working down from the face to the feet in segments, the various exercises, sticking your tongue out and talking or, you know, leg lifts or whatever it is. I, I often wonder, like, how much of this work did Reich do? How much was... Uh, introduced by people that uh, came after him. I'm not even sure. And I, I've, I've personally not been able to find much about it in his writing. But I don't know if you have. I mean, maybe you've come across something. that. Yeah, there's, I've seen very little um, explicit techniques that he's explained, you know, exactly what he was doing. That I, I haven't seen anyway. But I mean, I haven't read all of his stuff. Uh, and I just extrapolating from other... Um, men who've come up with systems and their immediate followers and what the immediate followers did with the ideas and techniques, extrapolating from what I've seen in other with other people I know better than Reich, it's guaranteed that a lot of the stuff that's come down to his won't be stuff that he did and will be variations on it and will be a misunderstanding of some key concepts. And uh, that's just the nature of knowledge <laughs> and techniques, I think. So it's hard to know what he really was doing, but I mean, I think, I, I think he, I think in some ways he thought that the core, um, his core ideas were what mattered, and then the, it was all all of the science was connected to this core ideas anyway. So the techniques, the the specific things, were just a function of that that you would do anything that helped them release and expand rather than tighten up and contract was good uh, and anything else was bad. I think that's way too simplified. Um, I think he identifying it with everything being sex, I think is a mistake also. Well, he conflates two things. He conflates the sex instinct with whatever this um, deeper energetic uh, physical um, expand, contract uh, mechanism, or, or however you yeah, want I to like, describe it. I like to use pulsation because he, pulsation, I think yeah. he often, yeah, refers so I, like, yeah, to I think that he as pulse, pulsating. Yeah. He conflates everything down to sex, which, which obviously is getting from Freud. But I mean, they know now that sex isn't the primary. It's not like the, the primary single emotion. There's various emotional systems, one of which is sex, and. Uh, he and Freud, him and Freud both, because um, obviously they couldn't, they didn't have access to brain imaging and stuff like that at that point. So they conflated the sex impulse, sex drive with the general, you know, um, explorative uh, seeking drive that people have, where you're out looking for stuff, you're you're looking for new things, you're you know that kind of enthusiastic, you know, like a dog running around sniffing everything. Um, kind of thing that mammals have. They that um, expanding outward motion. They conflate that with the look, like you know, the looking for sex. They're related, but it's not the same thing. So it's a mistake to reduce it just to sex, because when he did that, then everything became about the sex and the the orgasm uh, function. Um, so that maybe we should actually talk about that. The the structure of the the reflex. Because he, that yeah, kind of tailor yeah. that that kind of colors his whole view of 
of society as well because there's the you know the four stages of the tension charge discharge relaxation uh and his ideas if people aren't going through that all four stages in the correct way then it creates tightness and all sorts of problems later which that is definitely definitely true in certain ways but i think to just think that everything that you just need to get that right and everything will be fine i think is just utopian uh but there is something to that that people that people um well, what I mean is he identified that with the fun- with the universe is trying to do that, and then kind of humans have come along, and because of society structures or whatever, mm. in his opinion, we're kind of stopping this natural pulsation. Um, I think there is there is this kind of natural pulsation, but again, it's just his for me anyway. He it became too simplified into just this simple. Um, sex versus anxiety you know sex expanding versus anxiety contracting kind of idea which is yeah which has a lot of truth and is a good metaphor but again when you take a metaphor when you so like when you have a kind of i mean i do think rice basic idea of um of this is a mystical in, intuition he had and then but as a doctor and, and those things making it into a therapy but i think that kind of in a mystical intuition about how the world works this expand contract at such a deep level and i think everything was was aimed at that metaphor but it's a metaphor uh so uh, useful things will come from uh, unpacking all the things in the metaphor and all this other you'll generate lots of insights doing that but you'll also make a few errors if the metaphor is not exactly based on reality or you simplify things too much by by okay cool well um people are tight and and tense so you just need to release the tension and when they release the tension it feels good when they're less uptight they want to have sex more therefore it's all good you just need to release the tension um so i know in a technical sense this isn't true uh for posture so that's what i've been working on you can't just release 10 i mean it, most people are rigid in certain muscles certain parts of the body uh, armoring as uh, Reich would call it uh, for definite so the if you go by Reich you would just think oh well cool you just need to release the tensions and then everything will be fine but it doesn't work like that because your posture isn't based on releasing tension there has to be certain appropriate tension certain body parts need to be moving away from one another antagonistically if they're not doing that you need to do that on part you need to deliberately do that uh, you know in order to s- stretch the elastic structures in between uh, to you know, like if you're going to pull an elastic band, you need an antagonistic force. The two hands going away from one another, or to load a spring, you need the two, like being pulled at both ends. When you try and pull something at both ends in your body, as body parts, you're going to feel tension when you do that. It's going to feel wrong when you first do it. If you go by Rice method, you would never create that because you'll just avoid it because that's tension to be released immediately. So one one of the errors I see uh, with the treating it like the segments. You know the head-to-toe segments, like that horizontal segments, is um, when a person's standing upright in their vertical, uh, they work as a vertical hole, not as segments like a worm. And in order to have optimal posture, which to me means moving the bones around in such a way that they're um, stretching um, the elastic structures to make them work as springs, 
you can't do that by releasing the segments horizontally. You need to lengthen the thing as a whole. But in order to lengthen the thing as a whole, certain horizontal segments will release tension. So it's whether it comes back to what I said earlier about whether you're directly trying to do it, directly going in there to release the tension in the muscles, or whether you're restructuring yourself in a different way that results in that as a kind of side effect or a um, it's a means to an end rather than it being the end in itself. So I think Reich's central idea makes people make that error, it makes, makes them make the mistake of thinking that you just can let things go and they'll be fine. And this you see this in the, the political stuff as well. If you let everything happen with no structures, you end up with a sort of chaos. Uh, that's the same thing that happens in the body. If you release all the tensions, you'll just end up flopping over and um, you you just create another problem. So like on a personal level, I've seen various people who've been done a lot of Reichen work and I'd been working in Reichen-based work for a while, uh, for, on personally, not with people. And I just noticed that people I saw, they didn't have great posture. They were kind of flopped out. They were very low tension. They're very relaxed, but they kind of flopped over and they kind of had rounded backs, um, which is the is the release shape that Reich was going for with the orgasm reflex, where the two ends of the body are, are want to come closer together and they kind of fold in the middle. Well, that's great if you're having an orgasm, but it's not if you're if it's for your posture, you're just slouching over now. But you might feel all released and no tension. Uh, so yeah. anyway, this is where this is where I kind of parted with it because it just sure. doesn't work on that level. Um, however, if you do that, when you do it, you'll really like smash open personal problems uh, that are just tied up in muscle tension that you think are an emotional issue, but it's just a bunch of muscle tension that's kind of holding together the issue or creating the issue even. And when you just smash open the tension, then sometimes it'll just evaporate. The problem will just disappear. Um, again, that's a problem because when that happens to you, you have this huge aha moment it's such a big experience. You think this is the truth. You become obsessed about this thing, and then you just want to do more of it. And then, but later, it's kind of diminishing returns. You don't like doesn't really affect you as much later. But you're still obsessed with this big experience you had one time. So people will spend years arguing over which is the best thing. But maybe it was useful to you at one point, but it isn't later. Yeah. So the same old story, isn't it, with mystical systems or. Uh in Zen in particular, they say that if you see the Buddha on the road, you know, kill him. And I, I think that you do get fireworks from this work. So you get quote unquote spiritual experiences or weird physiological states. Uh, maybe you do a Reich and you see UFOs and think there's a galactic battle <laughs> going on. Um, that that isn't isn't the purpose, is it? It's that's kind of like a side effect that you should almost ignore because it's just getting in the way of the actual biomechanical work that you're trying to achieve, uh, as as you were saying. Just going back to a point you were talking about uh, the utopianism, I, I think that Reich, like a lot of people of that era, they really suffered from. And we were talking about this once, this this noble savage myth again about like that, that some degree of, you know, civilization is a thing that makes men evil and makes them bad to one another. And all we need to do is to undo all those 
structures, uh, institutions, undo the individuals themselves, take away the morality, take away the religion, because the religion teaches them to be sadistic and psychopathic. And then everything will be fine because, because man's state of nature is that of a noble savage living in a forest where everything was fine and that's what we kind of need to return to. And I am paraphrasing a bit here. I don't think he thought exactly this, but I do think it is this kind of underlying mythology with a lot of these guys from that era. They assumed that uh, the structures of civilization were designed to repress people and to <clears throat> take them away from their natural uh, orgasmic uh, state. And this is probably one of the, the major shortcomings in his outlook. And that does filter through into his work and technique, I think. Um, and, it, you know, it's tied up with the way that he expresses certain characters um, based on the segments that you were talking about before. So you have the the oral character, uh, you know, um, all, all the different characters that all have these different neurotic um neurotic features to their personality which was all based on when he said when you st stop developing as a child so some people stop at the anal phase st some people stop at you know the oral phase and and there's all these reasons why uh, the child stops at these various phases uh, you might have some of one type of character or or you might be you might be more so um an oral character with a little bit of being an anal character or you know the various other designations that he had but what's interesting about his classification and, and when i was doing a bit of research for this episode it kind of struck me that there's almost like there's a very judgmental way that he classifies people so it's like everything everything is messed up like everyone is messed up and you're, you know, you're all neurotic and you all just basically have these neurotic features and you're all oppressed and you've all just got to, you know, um, release all this stuff out of your muscles and then, then you'll be okay. Then you'll be back to your, you know, your primordial state. Uh, again, I do think there is some truth to it, but when people do go through the literature, you'll really notice that there's this, this noble savage type mythology underlying a lot of his assumptions and outlooks and the ways that he expresses things uh, in his therapy. Just for my own part, um, where I get a lot of value out of his work, and I think increasingly I'm starting to think this is probably one of the best elements of what he did. <clears throat> as far as as far as I can tell, having not used it for much else, admit, admittedly, but is his breathing stuff. So opening up the rib cage, uh, expanding it a little bit, because what I notice with people is they can't breathe at all. Like they are so wound up that like many people can't even take a deep breath competently. Like they sit there and they struggle. They'll tell me that like I, I just can't breathe that deeply. I can't keep this rhythm because it's it's too too slow. I can't get that much oxygen into my body. 
So where I get the biggest benefit from using it is uh, before the session, loosening people up effectively, loosening up their rib cages so they can actually take a breath. And I only do like a quite, I only really use maybe four or five exercises depending on where the tension is, whether it's diaphragmatic, whether it's in the belly, whether it's in the chest, uh, whether they're recruiting ancillary muscles to to breathe, which a lot of people do. And I, and I find that um, using those exercises prior to a breathwork session pays real dividends that people become much more comfortable with the breath and they can really deepen their practice. And I've had a lot of good feedback about that. Um, so yeah, you know, as you were saying, there's, I think Reikian therapy as an ancillary work. So work that can be used if you're changing, in your case, the structure of the body. I, I could see how even though the horizontal, horizontal segments are not particularly useful, if you knew the system and how it could assist you bringing structure to the body, it would be quite useful. Definitely, it's useful for breathing. Um, a lot of the exercises that that are a part of that therapy are very useful. But um, anyway, just my two cents. So another thing that's uh, a lot of what I know from Reich, I, like I mean, I first heard of Reich from Robert Anton Wilson's books, not by not by a crazy girl, uh, bookshelf, but by Robert Anton Wilson, and then by Chris, then through Christopher Hyatt's stuff. Um, and then Hyatt's later work in one of the... I think it's a radical undoing booklet. He talks about uh, him and Israel Regardi were doing the Reich work and they were creating what he was calling brain orgasms. Mm. So I've I've mm. actually had these happen. So I know what he's talking about. They're indistinguishable mm. from a mystical experience. But I wasn't coming at it from the angle of all this mystical symbolism. So it, I didn't go down that route. It was a very physiological experience to me. But it's like flashing white lights and, and all that stuff and uh so that's real so that was a um, that's the biggest uh thing i got from it uh i haven't been doing that work recently to, in order to you know induce them but i understand why they called it brain orgasm because that's what it, it really does seem like in your brain as opposed to other parts of your body and uh, you could all sorts of um, emotional benefits came from that as well. It's kind of just flashed away a whole bunch of dramas and issues I had at the time. But again, I found myself spent after once that was happening, this is years ago, 2014, 15. And I spent years, I got caught up in the, the same problems I've been talking about here of because it felt good, I got obsessed with it and I was chasing the feelings I was trying to recreate the, the experiences and it took me years to realize that actually it was the work I'd been doing on restructuring myself um, biomechanically, that these were related side effects, happy side effects of that, but they only work as a, they only work indirectly. If you try and go for them directly, you create other problems and you get obsessed with the feelings. You start, um, you actually start getting some of the problems that Reich seems to have had later in his life or your your uh, psychological problems um, because you're focusing directly on the muscle tension, you're focusing directly on the experience of it 
you're focusing directly on looking for pleasure because Reich's thing is based on pleasure, expansion, sex, good, uh, unpleasure, contraction, anxiety, bad. So by that definition, you if it feels good to you, you'll, you should do more of that. If it feels bad to you, you should stop doing that. Well, everyone knows that in life you have to do things that don't feel good to you if you but are good for you longer term. So this is like basic self-discipline idea. Everyone knows this. So you need to come to some kind of um, understanding for yourself of what is appropriate attention and inappropriate attention. Uh, The Reich's method, Reich's methods are great for releasing a lot of inappropriate tension, but the um, the, not the trick, but the 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 danger is that will pull you into just looking for more of that same feelings that you had at that time, which is and then you just end up treating the symptom. You're just trying to get rid of tension. You're so like to go back to the posture and structure to explain my understanding of the tension problem is different now. I used to just think the person hadn't dealt with their emotions, so they they got tense in their muscles. And now they were kept rigid tension, physically tense now, uh, which made it even harder to release the emotions. And then they end up in in the mess and now they look for therapy or mystical systems or whatever to fix it. Um, so you, so what I did is what I see a lot of people do now is you, you immediately look for practices that help you release the tension. You find something, no matter what, if you're a hypertense person with rigid muscles and you... Um, you you do any kind of practice that brings them into brings the tension into awareness and releases a little bit, you will be like totally overwhelmed by this because you were unconscious of all the tightness before, and then you'll just keep going down that route. You need more and more and more to release to improve yourself. So that's like natural. Yeah, you would be naturally pulled into doing that. However, that's the muscle tension is a symptom. It's not the cause. The the what's the symptom? So Reich would say it's the emotional plague and people, patriarchy and people uh, not uh, having sex properly and stuff like that. But I've found that by changing, but a lot, of, I found that a lot of the muscle tension problems are just based on the structure of your skeleton, where your bo- the bony parts are relative to one another. If you change the position of the bony parts in your sort of general structure when you're sitting and standing, walking, the muscle tension will fix itself indirectly. It has to because you've forced new positions of the bones. Uh, so the some of your muscles are too tense, other muscles are too flaccid, too too loose. If you try and directly release one muscle, you're not really dealing with the overall problem of the position of the bones. You're just adding a new misused, wrongly shaped muscle to the situation, but it happened to feel a bit better, so you stick with it. So you just run around treating all the symptoms. These create side effects. You know, your body's a complex system. You create some emotional side effects as well as the physical side effects. So then you try and treat them. Then you're doing another therapy for this. You're doing another practice for that. Uh, and it's just like the, you know, the guys with the, uh, the economists, they change one thing and then it has this side effect over here and then they try and fix this thing. And then they run over here and put money over here to fix this thing. Uh, and some places should just be left alone. It would be better. Other places need a strict structure. So, you know, I'm making an analogy here between the social structure and the, the the physical structure, which I think Reich is right to do, where he relates the two things to one another. What people are doing with their mind and body is relevant 
and plays out and what they're, what's happening between all the minds and all the bodies in the in the in the group. So uh, basically, I've just I've, I I I like Reich because he's makes me think about these things, and I always have to struggle with him. And I'm not a believer in him, but I'm also not a you know I'm not a hater. I just find myself grappling with it all the time because he he picks up on a lot of the key problems and describes them well, but I just don't think the 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 concepts behind it are are, are true um, anymore. Although they seemed true to me when I very first read them. The experience you described with the brain orgasm, so that. That happened to me a couple of times. It happened to me when I was I was going mental with this work, you know, the Hyatt work in China. Actually, I was traveling in China at the time. And I, you know, it's funny, I, I had the same symptoms. So I had flashes of white light when I was walking down the street, um, which was kind of funny because I think it was a couple of months before that I'd read a book on uh, Chinese medicine, where they were saying that like a lot of the features of Kundalini, which is probably maybe what this kind of experience is, maybe, um, are actually pathological. So I had this in my mind and I, I started going, oh shit, maybe I, I should slow down a bit because <laughs> I think this should be happening. It didn't feel bad or anything. It was just very, very intense, very mysterious, um, and yeah, afterwards I kind of, yeah, I, I'd say I felt good, like, uh, but, but I was, I was confused at the same time and it just didn't help that I was, I was in the middle of the street walking with some friends in a foreign country. Um, it wasn't probably the best place to have that experience, but you had well, quite, quite a few of them. I, right? had, so I you, had that, I had those kind of yeah. things for years and all the, you know, the other weird stuff that comes with it. So what did you notice with the, the character? What, did your character change afterwards? Like what, what outcome did you have when you, you the had first those? Time, well, yeah. I need to distinguish between the, the flashes and the weird stuff and the actual sure. like full blown brain. Oceanic thing. It was yeah, just yeah. like pure yeah. white light disappeared into the light, reappeared, you know, that kind of thing, which I since read later as a thing in, you know, the Buddhists talk about this too as well in um, meditation things. Um, so for years I'd been building up the tension. So like to bring it back to Reich, I'd been building the charge, the, the, the tension and charge for years. And it is a, it is a problematic if you don't discharge it. So like you, um, you said about the delusions, or the pro like it's the Kundalini stuff is a, is a problem. Uh, it is if you don't discharge it. So it wasn't until I had the full white light experience. Uh, this sounds mental to people. I understand. I, I really, this is. I really mean this in a descriptive way of what happened. Not. I'm not adding any meanings to it. I'm just describing the physiology and the experience. So like that, this, that happened, and then it completely kind of reset my brain and my mind for ages. Uh, but up until that point, which I hadn't noticed, and this is a sort of underlying tension, which is more kind of existential fear of life that had been there before. And then after that experience, ever since then, I, I don't feel that. I just um, I feel connected with the universe. It's just, just put it that way. Uh, that So that had effects on, on character. So I, I stopped doing things that were actually just fear-based, terror, terror of life-based. But I didn't know that's what they were. 
um, and I started working on things that um, I wouldn't have otherwise. Um, then I meet, like I started working on again, try to get this to happen again, but I just got lost in the ten- in the tension and charge phase, and never didn't reach discharge consciously. But then it would start happening by itself, and I was going through these cycles that were happening by itself, and I would have this explosion of like these mystical experiences uh, that were always deeply related with like body um, energies in the body and stuff. It was all very physiological for me. Although I've read descriptions of these things happening to people who it was much more mental, seemed it seems much more mental and symbolic. But for me, it was very physical. Um, over time, that kind of the crazy, because my life was just totally crazy for a, a couple of years like this. Uh, you know, all these energies going, and then um, uh, eventually, over time, the, the cycles of it of the charge, discharge, relaxation. I was having big trouble with the relaxation part. Uh, the cycles of it's kind of settled down and stopped being so extreme and then just start just start happening kind of, you know, you would say naturally uh, without really having to do anything. You know, a lot of the discharge moments seem to happen in my sleep now and I'm not, I don't have to, I don't go through all the, the crazy experiences. It seems to be just, oh, like I'll, I'll just notice that I've kind of the reset thing has happened again. Just to clarify, that's um, an energetic discharge during the evening. Uh, isn't it? No, it's no, it's it's uh, uh, <laughs> yeah, well, it's, it's psychophysical. Or... Oh, it's, okay, it's psychophysical. So, yeah. It's it's as mental as it is physical. <clears throat> sure. um, yeah. And it kind of rises. It, it kind of like um, basically, it would go. It would it, it settled down, and then it kind of was just happening by itself. It just seemed to now become a kind of um, function of like a physiological thing that's just that's happening to me. But as this was all happening, my to go back to your question about the did character change, I could just notice things about me were changing. I wasn't interested or drawn towards certain that stuff. You know, I uh, you know just things that just happened by themselves. I just stopped drinking drinking mostly. Uh, you know, like I was drinking too much and I just stopped drinking with no effort. I just didn't want to do that anymore. I stopped stupid relationships and stuff like that uh, without really much effort and struggle like there was before. So the theory I kind of came, came to is that when you bring it to the discharge, the kind of the full brain orgasm, it just like after a <laughs> physical orgasm, you are kind of settled and reset for a while and you're like you you have that you know that peaceful moment you kind of disappear for a while and then you reappear and you're slightly changed for a while but then in normal sense you just go back to normal later and you're uptight again later and then you're horny again later or whatever um in this uh it's the same thing but it's happening it seems to really does seem like it's happening in your brain rather than the genitals it really does seem like it's closer to the light in the sky than it is to the earth in the, in the ground, if that makes sense. It really, it really, um, it, uh, that changed me in, in a slow, slow kind of way without having to do any of the talk therapy stuff or without having to, to do that. A lot of it just burned away. It was very weird. Uh, a lot of like, uh, just general things being tense about just, just went away. I didn't even, didn't even think about it again. Something seemed to go away and then reappeared later. But a lot of it just it just went away and I kind of forget what it was like before then until I'm talking about it and I have to think.
Would you like to? Leads to the petrified forest. Do you think I'm attractive? Would you like to? Would you like to be loved by me? A lot of dead old trees in the desert that turn to stone. Do you think I'm attractive? You, you talk like a darn fool. No wonder she fell for you in the first place. It is a compliment. What did you say your name was? might be worth so in a sense you could say that from a Reikian point of view uh, that work or that experience those peak experiences did seem to have some impact on on what Reich would call the character or your yes, character. Yes, the big, the big yeah. fool experiences when they came to the discharge yeah. climax so I think he's right about that kind of pulse thing um, and uh if they didn't come, if it didn't come to the discharge climax, discharge here. Don't don't get excited, everybody. It doesn't necessarily mean a physical discharge. It's just yeah, like uh, the discharge of the energy, the, the psychophysical yeah. energy, because it's, it's mental and emotional as much as uh, physical. Um, the when the if when it didn't when it wasn't the full 
experience. It's all just problems, energetic problems, buzzing. It's irrit- it's irritating you all the time. You can't function properly in the world. Uh, you get you know all the annoying things, mood swings and weird experiences, weird dreams, all that stuff. But then once you have the experience, which I couldn't really get under control myself because myself is just this top bit of your brain thinking around and there's all this other stuff going on underneath that controls you more than you want to believe. Uh, it eventually found its rhythm or I got out of its way or whatever and over time. But I mean, I think Reich, a lot of the stuff that you see him, the problem, the things he gets involved in later, it's like a not correctly discharged um, building of this tension and charge. So it goes back to what you said of how much of his own work, of his own methods was he applying to himself? Yeah, I, I suspect not a great deal. Um, I do think he he seemed to have a little bit of a, a messiah complex and that seemed to get progressively worse um, through his life, I think. Um, so yeah, you have to question, you know, how much did he do or maybe he did too much. <laughs> And uh, he, you know, he started to make inferences about those experiences that perhaps he shouldn't have. But yeah, well, I guess we'll never know. Um, just, just on character though. So it sounds to me like the because my my approach, I think, was was much more gradual. Um, I kind of didn't do the Hyatt stuff so much. Um, I went to another one of Rigardi's students and had a bit of correspondence with him. And his idea, this is Jack Willis, his idea was that um, things should be very slow. And if you get those kinds of experiences, he actually says to just stop and don't do it for a while. That's interesting because Hyatt took the opposite approach, of course, right? That was the fireworks were the thing that he was promising to some degree, as well as character change and all the other stuff that comes along with it. But he didn't shy away from those experiences. They were definitely a part of his framework. Um, and, and that's kind of interesting because Willis and Hyatt were both students of Rigardi and they both seemed to take it in, in radically different ways. I always felt like uh, Hyatt obviously being of a more mystical persuasion, obviously that's the way he took it, where Willis seemed to me to be more of a hardcore kind of, like he considered himself like, I'm a Reikian therapist, this is what I do. And his whole idea was, because it's character change, um, it can only happen very slowly. So you have to do everything slowly. And as soon as you start getting, I guess, you know, full on <laughs> mystical uh, stuff, uh, you should probably, yeah, you should probably stop because maybe an indication that you're going too fast. But that's, yeah, 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 and it's the same with me, the the experience, right? Yeah, exactly. And and it's the same with me when I had those experiences walking through China. I was just going fucking balls to the wall, like doing it every single day, which they say not even Hyatt says don't do that. That's crazy. Well, you can definitely um, make yourself definitely go make yourself go mad doing this stuff yeah, yeah, if you're not absolutely. careful, without a doubt. Absolutely. And and um, yeah. you know, Reich is himself is a cautionary tale. Uh, yeah. I'm not saying he was mad, but you know, like he had issues. And um, but I mean, uh, the character stuff. I mean, he's really is onto something. There's 
the physical movements and the way someone is in their body, you can some often see playing out in their personality. There's a connection, yeah. you know, there's like an uptight body, uptight mind. Um, you know, you'll see somebody with a very floppy body that's out of control. They're very floppy in their ethics and their behaviors. Yeah. They kind of just go around with the flow. And they're like, you can see them. They're, it's like they're physically trying to flow too much by flopping around. Um, and then you'll get the uptight person who has very kind of might have very rigid ideas. Uh, there seems to be Reich's idea that, you know, the rigid body armor goes with an authoritarian personality. I don't think it's as simple as that, but, you know, it's there's something to that. Makes sense. Um, I mean, yeah. if you look at... Um you know, the famous example of Mussolini's face or, <laughs> you know, the, there are, there is a certain kind of logic to it. I kind of see what he means. I don't infer the same moral uh, judgment of it as he does. I, I tend to take a more objective approach. Like it just, <clears throat> I tend to see humans as, as just having adapted to the environment they're in. Like, I don't think, oh, he's a sadomasochistic psychopathic personality and you know all this stuff that he used to go on with <clears throat> but a really interesting part of what reich uh spoke about when he spoke about character is that um the character is is never seen by the person it's it's kind of always inferred like it, it, it can't be seen <clears throat> so so in a way i think what what reich was saying is the character is kind of like uh, a statement a person is making um, about this, the, the interior and the exterior, about himself and the world out there and the relationship between the two things. And that's what he said character essentially was. Um, and it, this is actually probably, in my opinion, the most useful part of Reich's therapy. And of course, the body work as well. But a lot of people just do the body work and they don't, don't do any of the verbal work. And what's not very well understood is that Reich actually insisted on there being verbal work. And the verbal work was conducted to try to get to the bottom of someone's character and try to bring elements of the character into conscious purview. And we can see that... Um, you know, that influence from Freud, we're talking about Freud before that was his uh, modus operandi. <clears throat> so um, using these language te techniques and body techniques together um, are actually quite important um, because character, in Reich's opinion, was basically just the way someone approached life, that interaction between the external world and the interior world. But it wasn't immediately apparent to the person he could only re you can only really ever infer what your character is you obviously can't see yourself right you can't see yourself as someone else sees you and even then it's how does someone else see you someone else is only seeing you according to the way that they see things so it's always an, an inferred thing character is not something that can necessarily be like objectively understood but basically i think what character meant to reich um was that it was someone's behavior, um, it was their personality, and it was these things, this the, the expression of all these different things, and that is what the character is, and that what Reichian work is also about 
is doing the body work combined with some sort of verbal work as well, which is designed to bring the character uh, into more of a conscious purview, basically. So you're more able to to change things in the moment, um, you know, as you see fit, rather than being victim of these impulses and behaviors. Um, so yeah, anyway, I just thought that was relevant to what you were saying before. It is, yeah. I mean, it's useful to think of the verbal work as, as really conceptual work. You're cleaning up your the concepts you have about things, including your understanding of your body and, and mind-body relationship. You you can't just, that's another one of Reich's mistakes, is like he's just working at the lower levels and thinks you can just, sorry, the understand, that like you're saying, the, the way people are using Reich, not him personally, uh, they they just jump straight to the body stuff and the lower levels and they think you can just ignore the the higher conceptual stuff. Obviously, if he's insisting that you did the the talk therapy along with it, that's he's not saying that. Um, if uh, yeah, Jack Willis makes a a good point in his book where he says that um, when you start to do the work. And you know he's talking about doing it slow. You have to do it slowly and to change the character. When you, if you try and change the character too fast, because it's not explicit and you can't see it directly, if you try and change it too fast, you're you will unconsciously react against it and you will start sabotaging it. Basically, you'll get in your own way or you'll have some kind of problems because it doesn't want to change. It's it's there because it's there. Uh, you're you the you know quote, higher self is trying to uh, change, quote, lower self. Um, but it doesn't mean it's just going to go along with it. So that's one of the reasons why he's saying you go, you have to go slow. Um, and I find this even just in the, the posture-based work where you're just deluding yourself all the time. You're thinking, you're going by your feelings, you're doing one thing, you look in the video, you're doing a different thing. And you're constantly deluding yourself. So when you're working with the the level of the character, you're definitely going to delude yourself because part of the character, in my understanding of it, is your the lies you tell about yourself and the things you don't like about yourself that you're hiding from yourself. Well, if you start doing body work that starts releasing tension patterns that are tension patterns which hold down those thoughts and those feelings and they start being released, you're not going to like some of them and you're going to react to some of them. Some of them you react so quick to you don't even know that's what it is. Um, uh, you may, you know, like get find yourself get, picking a fight or something. You don't realize, you don't know why you why you've done it, or um, you know, like addictive behaviors or whatever. Um, so with the the character stuff, you you have to constantly be working top down conceptual change at the same time as bottom up physical um, bodywork stuff and the it's the vast majority of people who are interested in this stuff who are drawn to this kind of stuff nowadays are just throwing away the conceptual side other than a few kind of woo-woo buzzwords that make them feel good they're not actually getting down into what it is they actually think about these things and how to understand these things and to really attack their delusions about these things because it's not just a case of throwing in some new ideas and you'll be fine you have to work through the uh, the bullshit ideas that you already have um, and a lot of them are about you yourself and your character and um, those type of things and you don't want to change mm. them so Not like in all. one of the other episodes we we're talking about you don't like in a way this is going against nature you're gonna you're being unnatural because 
your natural inclination is to stay the way you are. It's there's reasons for it, uh, survival-wise. But you, um, we're if you're interested in this stuff, you're trying to change these things, or think you're trying to change these things. But some of them, when you start bringing them up, you might not want to change anymore. Uh, and the, the only way you can see that stuff through is by the concept change, the the verbal level, the conceptual level, because you need something to understand and hang these experiences on in order to uh, navigate them it, yeah. but Reich's mistake is just you just let out the energy and it will um yeah. it will all yeah. take care of itself that's the it's like that's like the the utopian utopian or mystical kind of intuition i think he had yeah. behind this thing but as a yeah as a sciencey guy he didn't go down the mystic route but you see it coming out yeah and we'll discuss that next week because that's a fruitful um, discussion is talking about like, you know, he was very much against mysticism and he saw mysticism as a feature of, um, you know, that process of biological pulsation having been subverted and he was very much against mysticism despite right. the fact well, I that, mean, a lot of people, mysticism yeah. is a symptom of this stuff. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah. Um, yeah. But I mean, as I said, by doing this stuff, I had what would be mystical experience, like yeah, exactly. an experience. Yeah. But it really was different to me than the way other people describe it, and I recognise it in more and more places now mm. because I had this totally different context. I was arriving at, arriving to it with, and now I have a different take on it than than other people would have. If you've been very like, if you've been Jungian and all the symbols and all that stuff, you would understand it in a totally different way, and it would be like archetypes and all this other stuff for me it was like mm -hmm. very physiological yeah. um yeah. rising up into the into, into the mind both literally from the lower body up to the upper body and and um you know conceptually or or metaphorically of the the lower selves to the higher self or whatever um and then after that that's like the whole like psychophysical thing i talk about it's completely um, comes from this, th these kind of experiences where the the two mind bodies just whatever I thought of mind as body just got mashed together and just one thing now pulsing. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, interesting. But I wouldn't I, like. I'm still full of unnecessary tensions and all those things, and get excite over excitable in certain situations and all this type of thing. You know, it's not like. Maybe if you do the stuff long enough, you have this perfect flow of the the pulse of the tension, charge, discharge, relaxation. I mean, I don't have that. And I certainly didn't have it when I was going through the experiences earlier. Much more explosive. You know, it was like, um, I always thought about those, like, uh, you know, if you see a, a garden hose pipe with the water rushing out of it and somebody drops it and it's flipping around all over the place with the water spraying everywhere that's what it was like for me yeah. and then with the posture yeah, well. stuff and the ver focusing on the vertical body rather than the horizontal body it kind of disciplined all that and then now the it, it begins to flow straight it began to flow more integrated and straight for me rather than erratic all over the place and i experienced the, the bodily symptoms went away with that and the emotional and social symptoms also went away with that some of them still got mm. weird stuff uh but yes, I mean it's just complicated. It's hard to know what's what's character. Why it's really hard to know when you're kidding yourself on. 
and yeah. you, you almost need someone <clears throat> i feel to uh someone who is skillful in analyzing character uh, to go through that that part i think doing it on yourself is almost probably a fruitless endeavor to be honest yeah i think, I mean, it's, I think I, it's impossible except for a few yeah. very few rare people i think like you have to get it from someone else somewhere else at some point you can work yourself yeah. after but you, you need something because you you just can't see it and you won't you won't see it you like whatever mm. your bad th- the main central idea of yourself that's that's dysfunctional that everyone has you can't see that by definition almost you know you 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 will you will think it's anything else other than this thing and in fact the thing that the main issue you have probably is you probably think it's your best thing you probably think that this this like you have a spin on it that makes it great uh i won't talk about my one here i've talked about myself enough in this one but we could maybe talk another time but you really will cringe when you when it's shown to you or explained to you or revealed to you by some other person or some situation and uh that's how you know you've kind of found the thing in your character it needs changed yeah that was my experience i did some work with uh one of hyatt's students um not all that long ago it was probably only you know three 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 years ago i think and um you know, I'd done a lot of this stuff. I'd done a lot of Zen meditation. You know, I've done a lot of Reiki and work over many, many years. I thought I had a pretty good idea of myself just from life experience. You like to think you've learned about yourself, right? Like aside from the work that you do. And um, yeah, we, we went through this process together and he's very, very skillful at, at this. <laughs> And uh, I went through this process of writing effectively an autobiography, which is something that Hyatt spoke about doing a lot. And, you know, I went through this this big process, did it over a couple of days, wrote way too many words looking back, way too many, which, which is interesting. Anyway, so he took it away and he said, uh, uh, probably don't read this before you go to work. Make sure you got like a day off or something like that where you can take it easy before you read it. And, you know, that was for good reason because he absolutely eviscerated everything that I thought was true and real. And, uh, you know, I don't think I've ever read anything that impactful in my entire life. And, you know, I'd missed all this stuff. I'd missed it all. And, um, yeah, if you you can't have that experience by yourself, you really need someone who's gone through a lot of this stuff and has even that particular skill of of being able to um, take a hammer to to your to your character, <laughs> you know. And it is for a good reason. Just quickly on that, it's not he's not doing it to torture you or anything. It's it's sometimes you need to be harsh and you need to just be very forthright with someone. Because that's a kind of thing that shocks you out of that just place that you're in. And it's actually very important. Um, anyway, sorry to interrupt. It's just... Uh, no, I was I was interrupting. Um, yeah, so, and the person doesn't need to be like a perfected human being in order to, to do this. So some people, it just needs to be someone else. And they have to have some kind of, done some kind of work on themselves in order to see enough of you for you at that stage. You know, it's like... Um, uh, you'll know if it's they're on to something because you're going to be annoyed by it, but also intrigued by it, but also 
pleased by it, annoyed by it, um, avoid it. Uh, but something will niggle you and you, you can't let it go. You can't just dismiss it as this person's just trying to hate on me or this person's trying to... There'll be something that keeps pulling you back to it. It's weird. Uh, yeah. That's how you know they're kind of onto something because you, you still can't really see it yet and they're saying it to you and then... Again, these are concepts. This is conceptual change here. Oh, so that's the way this person sees me and then you're going about your business and you notice you're now acting out the patterns related to that con that way of seeing yourself and you're like oh i'm doing the thing now that he saw me do that i didn't really know that i did it like this or you you start recognizing patterns yeah um, the other thing is it's a long time uh, to, to work through it does um y you know the other funny thing is a, a lot of what we do uh comes from uh an internal compulsion and I think a lot of the idea of this work is to come to a position where you understand yourself well enough, or as if, if you go and pursue something, you're not doing it out of some emotional compulsion or behavioral compulsion. So what I mean by that, um, just as an example, you know, there's a lot of people online who are like, oh, I just want to escape society. I just want to go and live on a a farm or an acreage just to, you know, just get away from everyone because, you know, they're all so terrible and they're horrible. And, <clears throat> but I think that honestly, a lot of those kinds of decisions, a lot of those kinds of desires and drives don't come from a place of freedom of choice. They come from a place of, uh, compulsion, uh, coping, uh, coping mechanisms, behaviors that, you're not happy with that are really about you that you're trying to escape a whole range of different, you know, coping mechanisms effectively. And I, I think that what people having someone to correct you, the most valuable proposition that, that they can offer you is to expose all of those different ways that you're deceiving yourself. So you may well want to go and live on a farm at some point, but you can approach it from a place where you're not like, well, I have to fucking do that because if I don't do that, I'm going to die. You can approach it from a place of like, wow, I'm really curious about living on a farm. I wonder what that would be like. I'd love to go and learn about agriculture or, you know, whatever it is. <clears throat> but those two experiences are completely different experiences. <clears throat> and the experience that you'll have coming from a different place are completely different as well. And I see a lot of people and I saw myself for so many years behaving in such a way that was quite compulsive. And the compulsion was being driven by elements of my character that I was not aware of. And it wasn't until this individual pointed out many of those things, uh, compulsions, whatever you want to call them, that I actually took a step back and I'm like, you know what? I actually don't think I need to do this. I don't think I need to do that anymore. I don't think really that's all that important. I just had these breakthroughs one after the other where my flexibility of choice became much greater, shall we say. And a lot of the things that I thought were important before turned out not to be so important. And many of the things that I wanted to do, I went and did them from a different mental origin. And therefore, I believe the experiences I had were of a completely different quality. So that is another element of the verbal 
the verbal part of the work that I think is inescapably valuable. Um, certainly, I found it to be so. Um, that that was my experience of, you know, the character work of, of this kind of therapy. I don't know. If you've had I like experiences you said like there that. about um, the most valuable thing you can get is someone to point out your delusions and defects to you. Uh, harshly as required, but you know, with it's with good intention. You know, it's in good faith. The reason they're they're doing it, they're not doing it to to they're not doing it to destroy you long term. But they might be trying to destroy, help you destroy something short term. But it's for your benefit that they're doing this. Um, we're that's really like a minority of people, tiny minority of people who are even are interested in this stuff. And an even smaller amount will actually go through with it because it's already a certain type of person who's who's prepared to look at themselves like this and to sure. go through the kind of suffering of it. Most people just aren't. They're looking for us yeah. feel slightly better in the moment, um, which is a lot of the attraction to right type of stuff uh, with people nowadays, somatic kind of therapies. Um, but there are people who are like, no, I want to get to the bottom of this living thing, this being this animal on this planet, but somehow living all my time and thoughts and feelings. What, what is this thing that's happening? Uh, Realising that you're not what you thought you were or who you thought you were and then just following that thread no matter where it goes. It's just a certain type of person. It's just them um, drawn to this. Um, so it can be hard to find the people. It's difficult to find people. Uh, yeah. there are... so you can tell from our 150 uh, viewers on YouTube, <laughs> although, <laughs> although we, we hit 805 subscribers tonight. So that's, um, we, we actually put some runs on the board, which was good. But, uh, 805 yeah. weirdos. Yeah, yeah. Next stop, 1,000, I think. That, that'll be a momentous occasion. 1,000, yeah, as you say, 1,000 lunatics. Um, coming together to, well to a bunch of a bunch of these people are your weirdos that you brought here before i turned up true. so i can't take credit yeah. for this gathering <laughs> of weirdos yeah yeah well hopefully uh you know with your input we we can find some more um just just quickly before we go and i think that was a good note to finish things on on armor and i was interested to get your opinion on this um so, as you say, Reich tried to approach things in such a way that he wanted to get rid of all the armor, just keep undoing armor, keep doing that, keep letting tension out of the body. Um, obviously, that's not um, uh, it's not biologically feasible in an evolutionary sense to keep doing that because you know you need to be on your toes in a jungle, uh, running away from tigers or whatever it is. So I've I've been fascinated with this idea, <clears throat> and I think this is where you uh, are going to come in. This this balance between how much armor do you need, where do you need it, what is the optimal way to have it, uh, in terms of your flexibility to act in the environment, and obviously you've obviously found a lot of stuff out doing this posture work. Do you have any ideas on that? Like, uh, do you want to get rid of most of it? Are there certain parts of the body that need to be looser than others? Um, I'd, I'd love to get your thoughts on that. And maybe we can do that next episode. It doesn't have to be this time. 
if you just maybe want to give us a general uh, yeah, I think I think if you, I would because obviously armor armoring is a concept of race. Um, so like, in my view, I would take I would classify armor as unnecessary tension, or undue tension. So there, that's like. Uh, whereas it seems to me, my understanding for them, him, it seems to be all kind of tensions are like that are 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 unnecessary. And it goes back to the noble savage, noble noble savage kind of theory, or lost paradise. We used to be perfect and free, and now all this society has made us all tight, and we need to get rid of the tightness, and then we'll have a free society again. That's kind of mm. it's this kind of really simplistic idea. Um, but yeah, you obviously need a certain amount of attention to run from an animal. You need, um, just to give an, a, like a concrete example. So if you think about Reich, I think it's Reich's phrase about the dead pelvis. I don't know if that's from Reich or it was mm. one of his followers. Well, hmm. pelvis is so like his then his method is to do various tension and release exercises to release the tension in the pelvis and then the more tension you get rid of the better it will be. But if you look at the pelvis, if you look at someone's side on, pelvis can be in very different positions for somebody. It can be rotated very far forward or it can be rotated quite far back. You know, if you're slouching the top of your pelvis will be rotated back. So you've got a bent out back, lower back. If you're standing up straight like Sergeant Major thrusting out your chest, you'll see your you have a curved in lower back and your pelvis will be tilting forward at the top. So people can release a bunch of tension in the muscles around that area. And then when they stand up, the pelvis will still be in the same relative position as it was before. It's not like they, they haven't really changed the structure of it. So the structure, where it is in space, how far rotated it is or not rotated, and I have a method and a model for where it should be. It's too complex to say without images. But um, the muscles around that will have to adjust. So some muscles will get too tight based on the position the, bo the position of the bony part pelvis. The bone, the, you know, the large bone is in a certain angle. So the muscles around that, some will have to get tighter in order to accommodate this new position, and some will have to get looser in order to accommodate a new position. So which one should be tighter and looser depends on the position of the pelvis, but then the position of the pelvis depends on the position of the rib cage, relative positions of the arms, legs, feet, everything. So where your head is, where your feet are. Um, so you need a kind of plan for the overall structure. Uh, in order to know where things should be tight or you know, it should be tense or not tense. What it, what it means in practice is you ignore the tension. For me anyway now is just ignore the tensions. So you're just aiming to do movements of parts and then trying to get them into a certain organization. And you're just deciding in advance you're going to do them regardless of how it feels. Sometimes you feel a lot. Sometimes you feel nothing. Sometimes you feel the first time, but not later. Sometimes it feels pleasant. Sometimes unpleasant. You just ignore all that, and you just go by doing the movement and check on the video and work against the emotions. Um, so I find it useful not to actually think about tension directly uh, and instead to think about tension as um, instead just think it in the context of movements, if that makes sense. Mm, no, it does. Yeah. No, no, that's, that's a good answer. Yeah. That's interesting. I, I'd like to go through it in more detail uh, sometime for sure. Okay. Well, I, I think that uh, should do us tonight. So um, yeah, I guess we'll uh, catch up next week. Okay. Thank you, Alex.